What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a late night Wednesday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. And I am now joined by a first timer. Who I, it's weird just talking to him before we get started because I've listened to him in my earballs for like seven, five. I don't know. I don't know what time is anymore. It's been several years now. It's Trayvon Edwards. Trey, good evening, sir. How are you? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate you signing on for an hour and a half mailbag style podcast tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you you DM me and hit me and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. We won't go an hour and a half. It's it's late for both of us. Uh, us 30 club. I'm not there yet, but I will be there this weekend. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it. Uh, I wanted to have you on tonight because you were very familiar with the Brooklyn Nets. You're very familiar with the Bucks. I have gotten in a lot of arguments about this. There's a lot of ways of looking at the top three in the East right now. We just saw uh, the Nets Sixers tonight. Um, a lot of people pulling a lot from that. But when you look at the top three in the East and you think about how it's going to go, because by by just with the way the playoffs will shake out, it seems very unlikely that we don't get those top three and making it in the second round and see what happens. But if you had to just kind of do a power rankings of this top three and how you would separate them, how would you do it, Trey? Uh, I got Philly at one, Brooklyn two. Hmm. I guess Milwaukee three. How did you come to that? I mean, Philly's playing exceptional basketball. They've been the most consistent despite Joel going down. Um, you know, they're clicking at all cylinders. They're making the right plays. Doc's playing, you know, Doc's coaching these guys into the, the right direction. Tobias Harris is playing like a snubbed all-star. You know, Seth Curry shooting the ball well. Joel Embiid's playing like an MVP. Easy call. I... I'm fascinated by you picking them because, like, I have it a little bit differently. Like, I have the Nets as a head and shoulders one, um, health permitting. I, KD just comes back and it's just seamless to get 34 for him, and it's just it, it's insane how he can just come in and immediately just be back to KD. But like, they're even getting stuff out of like Claxton and Johnson, who I'd forgotten like outplayed Michael Porter Jr. in Adidas camp years ago. Um, and he's going to be a sneaky, interesting piece for them. And they're closing five and what Kyrie is doing and James Harden, just what he's been this year and being an MVP candidate. I'm just like, the, the, you're not going to be able to beat this team four times in a series. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like when you think about the matchup of the Sixers and Nets, if it comes to that, what makes you think that the Sixers have enough offensive firepower to beat the Nets four times? Um... It's kind of hard to tell. It's based on health and availability. Um, at the moment, I mean, obviously you want to root for the Brooklyn Nets if they have the big three. Um, but if they don't, 
it's a it's a it's a tough it's a tough matchup. Um, I think all guys would do the best that they can to be available for this series if they did match up, um, which makes it very hard for the Sixers. So, um, realistically, if 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 both teams were healthy, I'm gonna go with the Nets. See, that's the whole thing. Is like what with the health and who do you think is the most important too? Like, let's just say that they're not gonna have 100 percent of their big th- like health wise. All three will be 100. percent If you had to rank the importance of their health and where they should like the best case scenario or like what they could still be at and still get through who how would you do that sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on showtime Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow Digital Workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow Workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow Workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Can you repeat the question? Sorry. So basically like... With Harden the tread, like, do they need 100% Harden, 100% KD, and 60% Kyrie? Is that enough to get through the Sixers, or do you think it's like 100% Kyrie, 100% Harden, and 60% KD to get by? Like, how would you differentiate the level of health for those three necessary to to beat the Sixers in a seven game series? Um, I don't even think that it's like 100% or anything like that. I think that guys just need to be available and playing their best ball game and making shots. Um, again, Sixers just have the chemistry. Sixers are just playing well, and I, I won't take that from them, although the Nets are the favorites, you know. Um, but overall, you know, um, after after tonight's game, you know, the bench, we, even with the Nets being, you know, shorthanded, they competed and played hard and, and gave the Sixers a game. So if you implement, you know, the big three in the situation, like, I don't think this is. I don't think. I don't think the Sixers have a choice or a chance. More, more so. Is Joel Embiid your MVP? Uh, yeah. Unless Jokic gets hurt. Hmm. Let's hope not, man. Jamal Murray stuff sucks, and I don't know if you saw Baxter Holmes' piece on ESPN.com tonight, but um, injuries. It's like the second highest of in NBA history of uh, all stars who have spent a lot of time on the injured list it's uh it's a problem and the the grind for a lot of these guys um over the last year it's it's concerning and i'm worried the playoffs is just going to be even more with just the intensity ramping up and uh rotation slimming down and uh i don't know i think it's going to be i'm terrified of another big big name star um 
as a Hawks guy, I've watched a lot of Bogey this year, and I've watched a lot of what he's doing with this Hawks team, and Bogey's just shooting lights out. He's just been great since coming back. If that trade goes through for Milwaukee, and Bogey is a Milwaukee buck, do you think that changes how they no. are, and do you think that's something that's no. going to really... No, not at all? No. Okay. So he was not the final fifth piece. He's not the guy. You're not worried no. about that spot? No. No, everything happened for a reason. I like the Bucks. I like the pickups that they made. Adding PJ Tucker, Drew Holiday, you know, um, and and adding you know guys to to fill out their roster. And they are, they did get better, I will say. And they're playing good basketball. But I just don't. I I still don't even think they're good enough to even beat the Heat. Really? Um, yeah. No. So what does that mean for for Bud? Let's just say like they fall to a four or five spot. If they fall in the four spot and the the Hawks pass them, I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think there's enough time for the Hawks to make up that ground. But like, if they don't get by, they get curb stomped by the Nets in round two. Is that it for mm-hmm. Bud? Uh, probably. He might be in the hot seat. He might be in the hot seat. Um, but you know, overall. I ain't thinking too much of it. You know what I mean? Coach Bud is a good coach, but he's a bit stubborn and sticks to his game plan. What uh what are you most excited about heading to the playoffs with uh with this group? Do you is there anything outside of the big three that interests you come playoff time in the East, or do you think it's just like let's let's speed this up and get to this? Nah, I'm fine with it. I mean it's a short season. Um something put together and obviously just trying to make something work um teams are still trying to figure things out and guys are still trying to stay healthy and we had tons of tons of injuries um this season and we'll get to the playoffs when we get to the playoffs i'm just i'm, I'm just really not that adamant of four series to start so um however it lines up i'm sure it'll be a good one yeah um so when you look up to the west and you look at the lakers you look at where they're at um you look at the clippers and them streaking right now you look at Paul George's toe. You look at Tyler being in there. Um, how do you have the West right now? Do you think what what is your pecking order in the top of the West? Hmm. I'm not even sure who's first right now. I want to say is Denver is Denver first, even without Murray. Yeah, I mean, hmm. Hold on one second. Utah. Okay, respectfully. Phoenix, Clippers, Denver, the Lakers. Um, out of these eight, I'm gonna go L.A. Which L.A.? Both. Okay. And I'm gonna go Utah. Mm. And that was my three. See, I have Phoenix in that three. I, I have L.A. And Phoenix, Phoenix is cool, but I don't see Phoenix beating Utah. Interesting. See, I don't. Who are who's Utah throwing at Devin Booker and Chris Paul in crunch time? Who are they throwing at him? It's not consistent enough, though. It's not consistent. Devin Booker's first playoff game, Chris Paul. Having Chris Paul will help. Having Chris Paul will help, but mm, I don't think it's the end all be all. You know. I don't know. I just Utah like they're gonna get hit. They saw pick and roll basketball. They saw the pick and drop. But like, I just. I think they're going to run into the problem uh, against either of the two LA teams where Kawhi and Paul George, like they just have no answers. Like Joe Ingles, I'm really mad at Utah for just doubling down and betting on their rotation, their wing rotation with Bojan and friends. And I think that's going to, I'm not sure they could have gotten a Lou Dort or a Jeremy Grant or whoever, but like 
them not going all in with the kind of season that they're having and not adding some sort of wing, premier wing, um, at the deadline, I think is going to ultimately cost them because we're going to look at it and we're going to go, oh, this team's like, there's no answer for Kawhi and Paul George and the Clippers are just going to run them out of the building. I, I have the Clippers winning it all. I think the Clippers are turning the corner. If Paul George is healthy, I think this Clippers team actually feels like I, I'm betting on Clippers nets and Clippers in like six or seven right now. What is your finals right now? Hmm. I mean, in a perfect world, I want the Nets. Mm. I think the the NBA <laughs> wants the Nets. The NBA wants the Nets and Lakers, to be honest. Yeah, but but Lakers, I'm just, I don't bet on both of them being okay. Like LeBron and AD. And the AD stuff scares the crap out of me. Like, that stuff just seems like a ticking time bomb. And I, I don't know. I just think it's going to be really hard for them to go back to back and run the gauntlet with this group and with where they're at injury-wise. I think it's just going to be significantly more difficult and just what they went through last year. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's LeBron James, but I just, I'm not penciling them in. I just think it's going to just be, it's going to ask so much of LeBron and AD to go back to back. I think it's just going to be that much more difficult in the West. I think it's better this year than it was last year. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, Trey, what can, uh, what can we check out from you across the athletic count the dings, WKMYC, like what? What would you like to plug as we wrap up here late on a Wednesday night? Um, I'm gonna just stick to the podcast platforms. Uh, catch me on Count the Dings. Uh, growing up the same, B O M M O G. Um, you also can catch me on the Athletic Podcast, uh, Basket Buds, and then also uh, the NBA Daily Ding. Well. Keep up the great work. It's so weird that we're doing this podcast because I'm just so used to listening to you uh, every week on uh, the NBA podcast. So it's it's been awesome having you on, man. I greatly appreciate you making the time, especially with being late. I, I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt, man. Keep up the good work. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined... By Bradley Smith of Cat Scratch Reader, a rival, rival blog for the Carolina Panthers of my near and dear Atlanta Falcons. Bradley, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good, man. So it's been a few days now since your Panthers traded for Sam Darnold, the former New York Jet. Um, now that you've had a couple days to think about it, think about the what they gave up, think about the future, think about what he's been in three years in New York, um, where are you at with the trade, and what are your expectations for Sam Darnold in Carolina? I actually like the trade. I don't think that the, the Panthers gave up too much. You know, I mean, yeah, we gave up a future second-round pick, but – I mean, you know, you know, giving up a, a fourth rounder, a sixth rounder, and a second rounder may seem like a lot for a guy who hasn't really been that good and has arguably been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. But I look at it this way. I mean, he's been with Adam Gase for two, the last two years on one of the arguably the worst roster in NFL history on the Jets. He's only 23 years old, man. I mean, he he still has some untapped potential, I think. And I think in a in a right situation, I think he could actually be pretty good. I do think that um, Joe Brady and Matt Rule will be able to get more out of him than the, the Jets were able to. 
And I think that if he's at least a capable, decent, mediocre, middle-of-the-road starting quarterback, then giving up a second-round pick as the you know, the, the biggest piece of that trade will be well worth it. Because, I mean, you know, when you look at what they what their other options were, I mean, they offered the number eight overall pick for Matthew Stafford. Uh, they were in on the Deshaun Watson um, trade opportunity before he his off-the-field um, situation happened. And, you know, they've talked about moving up in the draft, and it would have cost a whole lot more than what they traded to the Jets to move up in the draft. So I think when you look at it, you know, from a value perspective, I think it's hard to really complain too much. Do you think they should still take a quarterback if they like one of them that falls to eight, potentially? I think it depends. Um, you know, I, I don't think they should take somebody like Mac Jones or, you know, anybody below that at number eight. But if somebody like Justin Fields, for example, you know, um, Joe Brady was at his pro day um today to get a look at him if if he falls to number eight somehow which i don't think is going to happen but if if he does then yes i think they should take a quarterback at eight you know they haven't picked up sam darnold's fifth year option yet so essentially they have him for one year on a rookie contract so they should continue to evaluate the quarterback position and have a backup plan in case darnold really isn't that good and getting a guy like Justin Fields on a rookie deal seems like a good idea. Uh, um, now, I don't think they should reward. Do think that if um, you know Trevor Lawrence is going number one, he's out of the equation. Zach Wilson's probably going number two, so he's out of it too. If Trey Lance and Justin Fields are both gone by the time the Panthers pick at number eight, I think they should address either offensive tackle. Um, wide receiver, tight end, you know, something else. But if one of those two guys is there, then, yeah, they, they absolutely should probably take him. Do you think this is a one-year tryout for Sam Darnold, or do you think the Panthers saw something, Brady saw something, Rule saw something, this new front office saw something that makes them believe that this is their franchise guy and he's got a longer leash than maybe we're all expecting? I think that really depends on how the draft goes. They have until May the 3rd to decide what they want to do with the the fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I think if they can get somebody like Justin Fields, they'll they'll evaluate Darnold as a one-year tryout uh, and then just trade the one they decide they don't want to keep. But if they can't get a quarterback in the draft and they have to go other way, other positions i think they'll pick up that option is 18 and a half million dollars so it's a lot of money on on a guy you haven't even seen in your in your offense yet but you know it's not it's less money than they're going to pay teddy bridgewater to be a backup if they keep him on the roster so um i don't know if they'll sign him long term but i i do think we will see him at least two years i don't think they would have traded the the picks that they traded just to have him for one year the offensive line around him what do you think he's going to be up against here is it an improvement from new york the panthers kind of a sneaky had a sneaky good offensive line and rules really good at coaching offensive lines um do you think it's a situation with that with mccaffrey with the guys outside losing samuel do you think this is enough 
um, for Sam Darnold to succeed, especially too, considering just what the NFC South is with Tampa Bay, New Orleans, and then the gigantic wild card that is the Falcons. And just the NFC as a whole is just, I think, the deeper, more difficult conference right now. Um, what what do you think? Do you think that this is like Sam should thrive, or do you think that there are real concerns where you're like, mm, this might be out of his hands? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I think he will be better than he was in New York. I mean, it's hard for him to be much worse, but uh, you have to consider, I mean, his best players, his best receivers in New York, I mean, we're talking like Braxton Berrios was like his number two or number three wide receiver. I mean, that's the extent of, of and what he had. I mean, he didn't really have an elite tight end. He didn't have a young multifaceted weapon at running back like Christian McCaffrey is. He didn't have a guy like DJ Moore. Uh, he had Robbie Anderson for one year in New York, and they were really good together. They're going to be reunited in Carolina. Uh, we don't really have an elite tight end in Carolina, at least not yet. Hopefully we'll be able to draft Kyle Pitts in the first round and fix that. But, you know, I, I think – I think the offensive line in Carolina is better than what he had in New York. I think Christian McCaffrey is far and away better than any player on the Jets. It's not even really close. So I think we're really going to find out the answer to the question of was it the Jets or was it that Sam Darnold just isn't good enough to be in the NFL. And I think think he is good enough to be in the NFL, and I think that's why Matt Rule wanted to trade for him. Um, so I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, franchise quarterback, savior of, of the world type guy. I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or, you know, anything like that. But I think if he can be on that, you know, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, Rodney you know, Pete. that type of, yeah, that type of Kerry level. Collins. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's I'm just naming some Panthers to, guys. That's that's what's happening yeah, right it, now. <laughs> it, it, it's not it's not hard to be one of the best quarterbacks in Panthers history. Yeah. I mean, you're talking Jake Delhomme and Cam Newton are, you know, the top two on the list, and it's mm-hmm. not hard to be number three. So it's probably not Jimmy uh, Clausen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, if he's Jimmy Clausen, then yeah, we can say that that we made a mistake trading for him. But I mean, I. I don't think he's going to be too much worse than Teddy or yeah than Teddy Bridgewater was. I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he can be worse than he was in New York. Yeah. So I I, I just you know I I think they'll get the value out of the trade out of him even if he only plays there one year. What has Matt Rule gotten right thus far in his tenure as head coach in Carolina, and what has he gotten wrong thus far? That's a hard question to answer, um, <clears throat> to be honest with you. Um, one of the things I think he got right is he has installed a culture of working hard um, and not quitting. You know, the Panthers were 5-11 and 11 last year, but eight of their 11 losses were by one score. So, I mean, we stayed close in games. We didn't get blown out a lot. It was a young team. Um, we... We fought to the bitter end in a lot of games. And, I mean, you know, we were 0-8 in games where we had a chance to win in the fourth quarter. And thanks, Teddy Bridgewater, for that. 
But, um, you know, I, I think he is, he is for the first year, and especially with the, the world as it is, you know, with COVID going on and all that, and him having limited practice opportunity and limited contact opportunity, I think he did a hell of a job, even though he only won five games. Um, I do think that he is relying a little bit too much on people he's worked with in the past. I know every coach does that. Um, but if you look at our roster, there's a lot of guys that went to either Temple or Baylor. And there's a lot of, like, a lot of coaches that he's worked with before. And I don't know if it's going to be a major problem, but one of the things that, that sealed Ron Rivera's fate was that he relied too much on people that, were in his inner circle. Like he wouldn't make changes to the coaching staff when it was necessary to do so. And I'm worried that, you know, Matt Rule is going to fall under that same trap. Uh, like we, we released Zach Kerr, and I know that doesn't really break the, 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 the news in the NFL, but, you know, he, we saved $1.3 million in cap space to cut a veteran defensive tackle to keep a guy who, because he went to Baylor and, you know, things like that, I think could, could lead to issues down the line. And I would say that's probably his biggest weakness right now. I mean, you know, he's a one first year coach, so he hasn't really had too many opportunities to, to screw up yet. What um, are you most looking for out of this new front office uh, for this draft and where you would like to see them uh, invest in? I really, 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 really hope we see them give whoever, Sam Darnold, you know, Justin Fields, whoever, give them a chance by giving them a left tackle and giving them a cohesive offensive line. I mean, we haven't had a starting left tackle worth having since Jordan Gross retired. And Jordan Gross retired in 2014. I mean – we we just we haven't had any consistency there, and I know every fan base complains about their left tackle, but you know we just we we've got to solve the the offensive line problem. I mean, it caused Cam Newton to wither away uh, in his last two years here because he couldn't. There was no protection for him, and it's it's not really the main reason that Teddy Bridgewater wasn't what we wanted him to be, but it, there was a contributing factor in that, you know, nobody can really be a successful quarterback when you don't have time to step up into the pocket and make reads like it's impossible to do. And I would like to see this new front office value protecting the quarterback more than the previous one did. Interesting. Um, what do you think they ultimately do with the number eight pick? I think they'll do one of two things. They will either draft a quarterback or trade down. Mm. Even if Pitts is there at eight, potentially. Or Panay Sewell. Okay, yeah. If if I think they do have a list, you know, a short list like every team does. If mm. Panay Sewell or Pitts are there, I think they'll draft. But if it's not them or one of the two, Trey Lance or Justin Fields, if it's not one of those four guys, I think they'll try to trade down. And that doesn't mean they'll they'll be able to, because, you know, to trade down, somebody has to want to trade up. And by mm-hmm. by that time, I mean, nobody needs 
over anybody else because all the quarterbacks will be gone. So, I, you know, it's anybody's guess. But if I had to, if I had to put money on it, I would say they'll they'll draft one of those four players or trade down. They'll try to trade out to, you know, somewhere in the teens and still pick up somebody like Rashawn Slater. That that would be a good fit. What? How would you rate the NFC South hierarchy going into twenty twenty one? We'll wrap up here, Bradley. I I can't say that um, that the Bucks aren't the team to beat. I mean, they're the repeating, you know, the retain uh, they're Super Bowl champions. Yeah. So I mean, it, but and they, 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 they brought division back, last year. That's they, why it's yeah. so difficult. Like they didn't even win yeah. the division. And the Saints. They didn't even Breeze, win the division, know. and they won the Super Bowl, and yeah. they brought back all of their roster. So I think they're the best team. Um, I think the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers. I think you could literally flip a coin yeah uh because you know drew Brees is gone thankfully uh <laughs> so i don't know what we're going to get with the saints i don't know if if Jameis winston is going to be their guy or if Taysom hill is going to be their guy because it's impossible to figure that out and i think it changes their their team and their outlook depending on which way they go i think Jameis would be better i think he's a better quarterback than Taysom hill uh, but, you know, they're second or third, and the Falcons and Panthers, as you know, <laughs> it's a toss-up. It could literally yeah. be both teams could be 12-4 and four fighting for the number one seed, and we could both win one game. Like, yeah. And you don't know which way it's going to go until, like, week eight, how it's going to be. And I, it's a toss-up. I mean, I think – I think I would probably give the edge to the Falcons because, I mean, you know, we are still a very young team. And, I mean, Sam Darnold's a wild card, but the, the Falcons, they do have a, a pretty solid roster. I mean, Matt Ryan is, is still in his prime as much as I hate to say it. Um, but you still have Julio Jones. You have Calvin Ridley. I mean, you guys have talent on both sides of the ball. So, I, I – I hate to say it, but I think you're probably unless you do what you normally do and and fail to live up to expectations. Uh, well, hold I think on. that yeah, I, I think it's going to be close though. I think you know the Bucks will yeah. run away with it. I think they'll win twelve games at least. But see, like, I, I just the, I don't know, man. Like they didn't win twelve games last year, and Brady's a year older. And I just I, the Bucks are awesome. They had a great run. All that can be true. I. I don't know. There's still some lightning in a bottle type feeling there. And the Saints have been the better team for the last few years. And it's like they still have the best coach in the division. They still have Armstead. They still have uh, Ramsick at the offensive tackle spots. They still have Michael Thomas. They still have Kamara. They still have a bunch of pieces on the defensive line. They still have a bunch of pieces everywhere. Like they somehow are navigating the cap. Like I'm still picking the Saints to win the division until like it actually happens and they fall apart. I'm not, I can't bet against the Saints. um, Yeah. And I, I feel you. <laughs> if the Falcons go quarterback at four, they're signaling like they're going to tear down because the Falcons are in a cap situation where like if they go quarterback, that means they're just going to pseudo try this year and start really moving on from 
the Julios and the Ryans after this year, where I I think it's going to get ugly quickly um, if they go quarterback because I, that mean that tells me that Fontenot's not going to invest everything and really drive this cap situation into troublesome territory if they go QB and don't give Matt Ryan help here. Like I I think that one can that 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 will change very quickly. The Falcons will fall to the bottom very quickly. I think they're top heavy. They're not the deepest roster uh, by any means, especially on defense. And then the Panthers, like you said, they're young, but. A lot of skill position talent. Um, you locked in your right tackle. You have talent on both sides of the ball. But uh, I don't know. The Panthers are just also really well coached. So we don't know how Arthur Smith's going to be as a head coach. We know Matt Rule is pretty good. We know Joe Brady, super smart and a lot of fun. And you got a new GM. So we'll see what he does in this owner and uh, what his patients are. Because it seems like Tepper doesn't have... The, the the most patience and seems like uh, no he now. does not he does not I, it, no. it scares me because I feel like he's gonna turn into into Jerry Jones like yeah. it scares the crap out of me and sometimes I'm just like man just be quiet and let let the guys in the football side of it do their job and you just make money like let them do what they do and you yeah. do what you do <laughs> that usually doesn't <laughs> happen you never until notice, years the best down the owners line. are the ones you never hear from yeah. But he's also like, I just spent a billion dollars on this team. Like, I'm not gonna not yeah, have my fingerprints true. on Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna not say anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Oh, and man. if the Falcons are smart, they'll take a quarterback. By the way, we'll see. I, I just we'll the, see. The thing is, though, is you can get Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Yeah. They're both better than anybody in next year's class. Well, we say that before everything. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, we'll see. Sam Howell might yeah. be incredible. Like, I, I mean, what they should do is they should do what Green Bay did when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, because Matt Ryan's got what three years left on his contract before well, they can get, can get off out of it, it after next year. Like, they after did next some, year, it's going to so, hurt yeah, a little bit draft more. Draft a guy, but, yeah. sit in behind Matt Ryan, pseudo go for it this year. Let the Bucks have one last run with Brady, and let the Saints do what they're going to do, and then. You know, in 2022 and 2023, Carolina and Atlanta can take their spots back at the top two, and then the Bucks and the Saints can go back to the bottom where they belong. You know, like, that's what I feel like's going to happen. I don't know. I, I really it's cannot so tell you. I can tell that you that way, there are so I, many smoke you know, screens that, like, I have no idea what the Falcons are going to do. I have no idea what Terry Fonda and Arthur Smith are going to do. No idea. They're all over the place. Nothing would surprise me with Atlanta. Nothing would surprise yeah. me. I mean, uh, I, if they're not going to take a quarterback, I would trade down because there's plenty of teams. Oh, they'll trade down. If you're not taking the quarterback, you're trading that number four spot for an absolute all. And my fear is, like, all four of these guys are not going to work out. If you go four straight quarterbacks, at least two of them are going to bust. Like, we just know from well, the history. At least two Zach Wilson is going to bust. We can already ah, – going to the Jets. I love Zach going Wilson. going to the Jets. Like, I, I don't think – I, I don't think Zach anybody Wilson. could be good on the Jets. That's true. It's the Jets. That's a problem. It's um, the Jets. Like if if the Jaguars took Zach Wilson instead of Trevor Lawrence, he would be fine. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even Zach sure about Wilson Trevor Lawrence. Is not the problem. It's the Jets. Yeah, Urban Meyer. We haven't seen him in the NFL. Like I don't know How, what kind of an NFL. Coach yeah, that's going to be a disaster. That's going to be a dumpster fire. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really have you no idea. You can't out-recruit the NFL like you could do at Florida. Like, you can't just do – that doesn't work in the NFL. No. I'm I'm excited to at least see what it looks like, and I'm excited to oh, see yeah, how he handles. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I, I can't wait to see it, but it's not going to end well. Yeah. 
we shall see. Well, what can we check out from you and the great team at Cat Scratch Reader this week, Bradley? Well, we are ramping up our draft coverage because that's the big tentpole event that's going to be going on in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, stay tuned for that. We're uh, going to be breaking down what we hope to do to, to pick and who, you know, who fits and who doesn't. And um, we'll have our usual recaps and reactions to every pick as they come out um, when the draft happens. And you can follow us along on catscratchreader.com and you can follow us on Twitter at catscratchreader. All right, Bradley, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for making the time tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by Nathan Bond of the Daily Stampede, a very good USF blog that you should check out if you have not already. Nathan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Chase. Thanks for having me on. How are things with you? Things are good. Things are good. Tennessee got their first in-state commitment and first commitment in the Josh Heupel era, so everything's great. Elijah Herring, just an all-pro. We got the next Henry Toa Toa. Things are great. Tennessee saved. Um, FPI has them going bowling. Things could not be better on Rocky Top. Yeah, and you know, as as a USF uh, alum and you know, cover USF, uh, we were very sad to see uh, that plate of donuts uh, head to Tennessee. I'll be I'll be honest, and Josh Heupel. So, uh, super unfortunate for for us. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to the guy who's replacing Heupel at UCF because um, I have like I think the USF job is extremely interesting because I think USF was kind of UCF before them. Um, I still have a soft spot for the Matt Grothy era. Um, one of my favorite college quarterbacks of all time. And just what USF was for me growing up and watching them where things have fallen in recent years and Blake Barnett's 19 years of college eligibility and um, <laughs> all that great stuff. But you guys went out and you hired Jeff Scott. You pulled a Clemson guy because Tennessee tried to get Tony Elliott and were unsuccessful. And you pull the other OC, Jeff Scott. And I thought that was just like this under-the-radar thing where like, yes, Gus Malzahn, sexier, Butch Davis – sexier name you go lane kiffin willie taggart jeff scott doesn't have the same kind of just oomph. but like when i thought about it i was like jeff scott this dude I, he just knows offense he's a dude who's waited his turn he's already familiar with the area um just he's gonna get skill position guys in this area i i was just like i could see a really easy path of usf coming back with jeff scott but if you had to articulate like how year one went or year zero, as we call all these new coaches when they take new jobs of Jeff Scott at USF, how would you say it went? And do you think this still has the potential to be a, not a game changing hire, but just like a hire that gets USF back to um, where they were years ago? I mean, that's a, it's a loaded question, right? I, I think we, we've been dubbing it year minus one due mm-hmm. uh, to COVID due to uh, just the hole that Charlie Strong left. And I think that kind of goes down to, you know, you're one bad hire away from just crushing a program, right? It, it happened after Jim Levitt was fired with Skip Holtz. Everybody thought, hey, home run hire. It didn't work out. And then it took Willie Taggart two and a half years to figure it out. And then he bolted to Oregon. And then you bring in Charlie Strong, and you have Quentin Flowers, who helps uh, save the program a little bit, uh, saves Willie's job, 
2015, and you get just an absolute dud in Charlie Strong, and now Jeff Scott's rebuilding. Um, it, it the cupboard was pretty barren at nearly every single position when Jeff Scott took over. Uh, he made chicken salad out of you know you chicken parts. In this podcast. Uh, Okay, he made chicken salad out of chicken shit. Uh, it was shocking that they won a game. Um, it, it's going to get better. He's a really good coach. He understands the quirks of the university. And as, as you mentioned, pulling an, a Clemson guy, it all comes down to athletic director Michael Kelly. He's an absolute wizard. He comes from the ACC. He's run that he's been part of the college football playoff committee. He's run a few Super Bowls. Like the, the guy has connections, and it really helps out when you have a, a leader uh, who's in line with the president and the, the head coach of the football team. It, it's really starting to turn around here. It, it, I'm not going to go out on the limit and say USF's going to go to a bowl game this year, but you can see things are trending in the right direction. So what are some things that are trending differently? And like when you brought up Willie Taggart and what he had to do to save this program temporarily, and it took him two and a half years and Clinton flowers obviously helped there, but like, what is he going to have to do differently than Taggart? And what did Taggart do um, in a similar way that uh, Jeff Scott's already doing? Recruit. Charlie Strong didn't recruit and Jeff Scott has already kind of raised the bar uh, recruiting wise. There's a couple kids in this, uh, 2021 class that will be game changers. Uh, quarterback Timmy McLean out of Sanford, uh, the Orlando area, going into enemy, enemy territory and pulling one of the top quarterbacks in the state, plus his teammate Jimmy Horn, a wide receiver who uh, was a late late pickup for USF, and they had a battle of the likes. I believe it was Jackson, Jackson State, Alabama, Georgia. I think Tennessee was in there for Jimmy Horn. It, it was a really good pull. Uh, for Jeff Scott, and that's kind of what you have to do. You have to hit on these guys your first full cycle. And it helped, you know, spring game being what it is, they hit on a quarterback, that's for sure. He's going to be the future. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how everything else kind of shapes out. But you got to hit recruiting here in Florida, and, and they nailed it so far. Do you think some of the things that's changed about USF in recent years versus a decade ago is just that, like, there's so many good programs now in the state of Florida, and there's so many different big-time programs that are pulling the best from Florida. And this is part of the reason that Florida State has struggled to get back to where they were. And Miami is that, like, it's just Clemson's in here now. Bama's in here now. Um, Georgia's in here now. Like, there's just a lot more just premier programs that are pulling your best prospects, and it's just uh, it's a lot more difficult to keep guys home than it used to be. But... You have FAU, who's become a solid program. Butch Davis, that has brought FIU back. And you have Manny Diaz, who's a recruiting wizard at Miami. And now you have Mike Norvell, who I think uh, right. has a lot of upside there at uh, FSU and is doing a lot right. Um, now Gus and his pedigree at UCF. Like, you look up and down the list, and I'm like, man, it is just going to be brutal for Jeff Scott in this group to just uh, go after these in-state guys because there's just so much competition uh just around the the southeast and around the premier programs that are just going into florida to get the best players yeah it's it's gonna be tough you know even in the bay area of tampa bay it's you know encompasses like seven counties that they want to mark their territory keep as many guys as they can in the bay area and uh you see you know ray ray mcleod up at clemson that jeff scott was able to pull there's a bunch of talented guys that go other places and it's it's 
going to be tough to keep the homegrown guys uh, in 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 the city, and it's tough because you know Tampa's a metropolitan area. It's not what you would say a college town. People don't really want to stay in their hometown, especially when it's such a big city. And uh, you know, for you know reasons, the you know, USF's an afterthought. They're well, you see more like this Florida too, in, where it is in Orlando and yeah. things. It's kind of the same deal. Yeah, it, it just it, it comes down to if if you really want to change the program, and that's that's what Willie Taggart hit on hit home on with uh, Marlon Mack uh, when he re- got recruited in 2014. He was on the verge of flipping to Louisville, but he's Sarasota Manatee guy, got him to stay home, and then you're pulling guys from Miami like Quentin Flowers to kind of change the program. You just got to hit on some of the key guys, and the rest will kind of come along and that's been missing for a few years what would you say is the biggest pro of the usf job and the biggest con (sighs) biggest pro uh i would say since the the announcement of the indoor practice facility back in february uh they're gonna they're gonna break ground here probably in the next month there's a lot of potential a lot of untapped donor potential um especially with this ipf that's been one of the things that's holding back usf once that gets up to par, I think Florida State announced uh, on on Wednesday they're you know, building a new facility. It's they're all quietly behind. People don't realize yeah, and it, FSU is <laughs> quietly behind in the money department in the state of Florida. Yeah, and it, I, you saw with Jimbo leaving for you know, that ridiculous yep. contract at A and M. It's it's all arms race, and USF finally getting just getting in the game is going to be huge, huge for them. And it doesn't hurt that you play at Ray J where, you know, you just had WrestleMania, you had the Super Bowl, you've had the CFP there. It's a fantastic facility. They have their own locker room inside Ray J. It's not Buccaneers branded locker room. It's theirs uh, that they use whenever it's going to help. That's, that's probably the best thing I could say about the USF job is there's a lot of untapped potential. Um, The worst part is the untapped potential. It's been, 20 years of untapped potential, right? And eventually you either figure it out and crack that potential. You're just going to be, you know, cycling through, you know, eight to 10 win seasons every once in a while when you hit on someone and, and then you're back to the bottom where you're three and nine, four and eight fighting for another bowl game. Uh, And I will say that the fan base is fickle. Uh, You know, I think people were annoyed at Jeff Scott, uh, you know, this past season in our in our mentions and, and DMs and what were they you know, interactions about? that he only won one game and lost eight straight. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also it, just like I mean, they were they had some fight, they had some spunk in the UCF game. They almost beat Memphis. Um, Cincinnati was relatively close, twenty eight to seven. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, you got blown out by Tulsa. You got blown out by some teams you shouldn't have lost it but like uh, that whole like temple was right there and like you said the, the cup board was bare i don't think it was that bad and i think ending on that kind of note with ucf was actually pretty positive yeah absolutely i think uh i i don't know if you, you guys know richard johnson the former sb nation guy yes. splits on duo I, he's very big on proof of concept and i think that ucf game was a proof of concept that the offense can work when the pieces are there and uh, offense coordinator Charlie Weiss Jr. has some pieces now. There's a so much more talent from year one to year two already that it, it's going to be exciting to see when the offense kind of puts it together. 
the spring game they threw for over 550 yards, you know, with the split up defense, but four scholarship quarterbacks all threw for over 100 yards uh, in limited action. It's it's better than what it has been, uh, to, to say the least. Interesting. Is Was it just recruiting with Charlie Strong as an outsider? Like, if you had to explain, is it is it anything more than just a recruiting issue? Or, like, why was the cupboard so bare? And why did it just fail so spectacularly with uh, Charlie Strong? Well, Charlie Strong signed the contract after getting fired from Texas. So, you, you know, the first, I believe, two years were subsidized by Texas. So he wasn't making a lot of money. Um, and he brought a lot of staff over from Texas, uh, that same staff that got fired the previous year, and thought, eh, we'll make it work. And they did make it work because USF had a lot of NFL talent. Uh, Mark Westfeld, the Scantling, was on the team. Uh, Dejan Sonat of the Atlanta Falcons was on the team. And, of course, Quentin Flowers. Well, you, you lose those guys in 2018. You bring in Blake Barnett. You miss on a quarterback. You chase away two other quarterbacks. Uh, and you're trotting out a walk-on in a in a blowout because you're you're down so many bodies. You only have two scholarship quarterbacks. Uh, and I believe it was 2019. Um, it, it just... It was just brutal. The, the recruiting was bad. I've heard from coaches, other coaches on staff that were on staff that he just didn't go out and recruit. That was that's just, just not so his thing. weird. Like him it coming really in his pedigree and where he'd been. Like that's just so weird to me. I think I think it's I think it's been said that between him and Kevin Sumlin just jumping into a job after getting fired from Texas schools and being being black, I think that it's one of those things where if you don't get into another job, you may not get it again, which is one of the unfortunate downsides of college football and being a person of color. If you fail, there's a stigma that you're going to fail every other stop. Yeah. So I think he wanted to jump back in and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Very nice guy. I can't say enough of about him, but it just didn't work here. I wish him well. And I think he may be good in Jacksonville as a, as just a linebackers coach. I believe is what he is now. So it's, you know, it happens. You just get a bad fit, and that just doesn't work out. I think you need to take some time off before jumping into another job. You just don't know if that other job's coming, um, even if it means taking right. the Arizona job, um, which is one of the most unwinnable jobs in college football. Um, Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. So we know a little bit about the quarterback position, but what uh, what spring position battles are you looking at? Um, is there skill position guys that you're excited about watching this fall? Who are going to be some USF darlings when I'm waking up early, uh, Nathan, on Sunday morning doing my, my scans, my views, my Victor's Valiant 11-minute clips of uh, – shout out to Victor's Valiant on YouTube. Um, it's a godsend during the college football season of – just parsing through USF games uh, that I'm like, oh, this dude's awesome. I, I'm going to jot him down and shout him out on the podcast. Like, uh, who 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 makes that list for you? Well, you know, right now, uh, quarterback Cade Porton, I think he's head and shoulders above the competition. There's still some good guys in there. Then fall camp is a completely different beast than spring, but it, it seems like he's the guy. He threw for over 200 yards in the spring game. Again, spring game but he hit on a couple of deep shots that were completely missing from the offense last year. I think it starts and ends with Cade Gordon and the guys that he kind of started to connect with is Xavier Weaver, who 
kind of was below the radar. I think he had seven catches last season. Um, but he, he's really improved his body technique, route running, and he was explosive in the spring game. Uh, I, I'll, I'll shoot you over a clip of what he did in the spring game. Um, just great, great catch. Two, three guys ran in for a score, caught another one. He's going to be a guy to watch. Uh, as I mentioned, Jimmy Horn Jr., who's not on campus yet, he's a true freshman uh, from Samford, Florida. He's another guy to watch. Um, Latrell Williams, uh, former Tennessee uh, wide receiver, Latrell Williams, for I think he had a cup of coffee at Tennessee before transferring. He's been explosive. Uh, Gunnar Greenwald, fresh, true freshman tight end, he's looked good. Uh, may need to work on you know inline blocking a little bit more with with how the offensive line kind of is shaping out to be you you need you know your running backs and tight ends to block a little bit better uh those those three guys i think are what you want to be looking for as well as the mario dawson um he's a true freshman he's a guy who excuse me he's a true sophomore he's a guy who uh really stepped up and and was great at you know those deep crossing routes was able to stretch the field a little bit last year and he had the shortest punt return uh, for a touchdown ever against the Citadel uh, to start the season where he caught a blocked punt in the, uh, in the end zone for a touchdown. So that was nice. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, what can we check out from you this week at uh, the Daily Stampede or anything else you would like to plug, uh, Nathan? Yeah, we've got uh, two episodes of our latest uh, podcast up, uh, the Blooming Eye podcast. we it kind of broke down football and then second one broke down the Olympic sports because I think there's like 14 uh, other sports, uh, spring sports going on right now. Our women's basketball team is fantastic. They made the second round of the NCAA tournament. Our women's soccer team is fantastic. They swept pretty much every award and we'll be playing Thursday uh, in their conference tournament and we'll be covering that. And just uh, check us out. We're decently okay funny and uh, on twitter sometimes at stampede sbn and just checks out the daily stampede.com all right we'll go do that and keep up the great work nathan uh thank you so much for making the time i greatly appreciate it not a problem i appreciate it thanks for having me on nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.